0: which is what happens when mission-driven, like-minded people come together, is something bigger than any one of them is the result. And that there is this blessing that is transformative.
1: This is Open to Explore, the FBC Athens podcast featuring conversations at the intersection of faith and life. I'm your host, Frank Granger. Minister of Christian Community. Today begins a six part series called Meet Your Community. The aim of this series is to deepen our awareness of needs in our community and meet some of the people and organizations working daily to meet those needs. In addition to learning about our community, we can envision ways to use our gifts and resources, personally and collectively, to help in meeting those needs. The Lord's Prayer includes the petition for the provision of daily bread. However, one out of every nine people in Georgia face daily hunger. Today, we meet Erin Barger, the President and CEO of the Food Bank of Northeast Georgia. We'll learn about her service and how the Food Bank works to address food insecurity by providing consistent access to nourishing food and relevant education throughout a 14-county area. Erin, I'm really glad that you have agreed to join me today and talk about the Northeast Georgia Food Bank and maybe some other things related to our community. can't wait.
0: I'm honored to be here.
1: Very good. Our paths have crossed... And crisscrossed for, I know, about 10 or more years. I
0: think so. More than 10 years now.
1: Yeah. And you have been in the Athens community, serving the Athens community for a a number of years in a variety of capacities. That's right. So tell me this. Mm Mm-hmm. When did you first start and who did you first start with here in Athens?
0: So Brian, my dear husband, and I moved to Athens in 2009 and I had just completed graduate school and I had trained to lead a not-for-profit business. And so I was looking for the opportunity to serve the Athens community while Brian uh, finished his PhD here at the University of Georgia. And I had the opportunity to come to know and love Athens through the work of Our Daily Bread, the Community Kitchen, uh, which at that time was supported by a faith-based not-for-profit that's no longer around, but Our Daily Bread is still very much here. And I think that's how we met first off. And that was probably in my first year in Athens we interacted at that point.
1: Okay, so that was very early on. And then... Our paths crossed again when Oconee Street Methodist Church burned. That's right. And you had just been here to do a panel presentation.
0: Yeah, I I know exactly when that was because I was about five months along with our middle son, Atticus, who was turning 12 in a few weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was 12 years ago, Frank. Can you believe it? No,
1: I can't believe it's that And
0: I awakened on a Tuesday morning to a phone that was full of texts and voicemails and learned that the Oconee Street Methodist Church had an electrical fire and really severe damage that had completely impacted our daily bread. And we did not have a place to go for breakfast or lunch or any meal thereafter. And so I made two calls. Immediately, one was to Chick Fil A to line <laughs> up biscuits for breakfast, and then my second call was to Pastor Paul Baxley, yeah, um, because I knew and believed in the hospitality of this church, and there's a reason that this was my first call, and you are part of that, and um, you're still here doing good work, and so that that shared hospitality, I think, has always been um, our unique bond, yeah, and we know where that comes from.
1: We do. We certainly do. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: when did you start with the Food Bank of Northeast Georgia?
0: Two years ago, almost exactly. So I began as CEO of the Food Bank of Northeast Georgia in August of 2021. So I just hit my two-year anniversary.
1: Congratulations.
0: Thank you. I love it there. Um, I was just telling you on our way up today that I have always been blessed to work with remarkable people. Mm-hmm. and um, being a part of a dynamic team of mission-driven people is just one of the greatest blessings of my life, and that is very much true at the food bank. So proud and grateful to be a part of the work there.
1: So speaking of mission-driven, mm. what drives your mission? I mean, mm. What brings you to do what you do mm. through these various organizations? What is it you believe in?
0: I believe in loving God and loving your neighbor. I believe that we are all blessed in ways that we don't understand and that we enjoy beyond our own understanding grace. And because of my experience of grace and seeing all of the blessings of my life that I know I don't deserve and then looking out at the lives of other people on a local scale, on a state, national, global. And I know that it doesn't make sense that I have the things that I have and other people struggle to meet the basic essentials of life and I believe that God has called us to believe in the abundance that we have and use our abundance to open our hands and our hearts to other people. And I believe that's why we're alive. Hmm. And so that's that's what I try to do. I also work with my children in mind. Um, I want them to see... What a good life lived entails, and how the best life is um, one that is driven by just scales Mm -hmm. and mercy and opportunities to see other people the way that God sees them and love them the way that only God loves them. So that's why I'm here.
1: It's beautiful, that's inspiring. And so I'm sure that the other people that you feel blessed to work with, I'm sure they feel blessed as well to work with you.
0: Oh, I care about them, and I think they know that.
1: Mm-hmm. Very good. So tell me a little bit more about your specific role mm. with the food bank.
0: Yeah, so I joined two years ago. So I serve as the president and CEO. Uh, so that means, um, in my view of leadership, That means that I'm at the the foundation or the bottom of the organization and my role is to lift other people up and elevate other people and support them to be their best professional selves and to work together on the mission of the food bank, which is every day we connect our neighbors with nourishing food. It is very simple to understand. It's more complicated to do across 14 counties. Um, but the reason we exist is very straightforward. And so I support a team of about 30 people to mobilize more than 11 million pounds of food. So about 10 million meals mm. across the 14 counties of Northeast Georgia.
1: That's a lot of food.
0: That's a lot of food.
1: So 14 counties, We're, our church is familiar with mm-hmm. working with the Athens area. Food bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done that for a long, long time,
0: mm-hmm.
1: probably close to as many years as we've worked with our daily bread.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So Northeast Georgia mm-hmm. Food Bank, Athens Area Food Bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, give some distinction there. Are are they connected anyway? And so, how are they different?
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm grateful to say we are connected, and and it's very likely as folks listening to this podcast, as you drive across, you know, any of the counties you'll see food pantry, food bank on, on signs. Um, Typically food bank is used to refer to a very large depository of food. So what makes us a food bank is we are literally the hub for the whole region to which more than 200 members come and they get food from us that they then distribute. So we distribute to the distributors That's really what technically separates a food bank from a food pantry, but I'm not in the business of correcting what people (laughs) call themselves. You know, that doesn't seem gracious, but the, the real difference between a food bank and a pantry is really scope and scale. And food banks, I think they provide a critical role that most people don't understand. So in the way that, you know, FEMA exists to support communities in case of disaster American Red Cross is disaster relief. Food banks are disaster relief organizations. So, you know, if you look at the um, storms and hurricanes, natural disasters that occur, yeah. usually uh, FEMA, Red Cross are kind of the first in, and they're providing that on-the-ground support. Food banks are really the go-to for food in that situation, and they typically end up staying um, a, a bit longer than some of those immediate relief organizations because food continues to be a necessity, especially if critical resources were um, wiped out or tapped out. And so food banks are part of a national network, Feeding America. And so we're one of 200-plus member food banks, and we kind of okay. work together so that if there were, um, you know, a disaster – in a certain part of the country then nearby food banks come together to provide disaster relief. Okay. So we really are an emergency preparedness organization in ways that no one would expect a food pantry to be.
1: Yeah. And a pantry is a little small closet. You talk about food bank, we're talking about a really big warehouse.
0: Sure. Yeah. It could be, you know, 34,000. It could be 64,000, uh, <laughs> depending on where you are in, in your building project and in, in your trajectory. But yeah, usually it is it is an organization moving millions of pounds of food, attempting to distribute that equitably and effectively across a large region and through a variety of channels as well.
1: Uh, so describe a little bit the kinds of food you collect then. I mean, because... Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, we drop off stuff here. Yeah. We think of canned goods and sure. peanut butter jars and cereals. We love our peanut butter. <laughs> we do. Peanut butter goes <laughs> goes
0: a long way. Uh, so the food that the Food Bank of Northeast Georgia distributes is actually 50-50. It's 50% fresh and 50% shelf-stable, oh, which wow. is surprising to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, folks often picture a food bank being mostly shelf-stable and those... Those goods certainly have a place, um, you know, because it's shelf stable. Yeah, those those items last longer than some fresh mm-hmm. foods, so they play a really important part in you know grocery shopping or procuring food. Um, but then we also want to ensure that our neighbors have just as much opportunity as anyone else to have fruits and vegetables and dairy and protein. So half of the food that we move in a year is in that category, and then mm-hmm. the other half is shelf-stable. So we, we want that not only consistency, but also consumer choice and variety. For us, that implies and carries the sense of dignity mm-hmm. that we want our neighbors to experience when they encounter the food bank.
1: And it really contributes to nutrition as well.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. a big
1: key. Um, sure is. as you describe these different types of food some are fresh and some are shelf stable mm-hmm. kind of foods where do you get them from
0: oh great question so we receive usda commodities that come through um to food banks and that's a that's a common way for food banks across the nation okay to receive um, large amounts of food and so that's um part of just the USDA kind of national relationship that food banks share. Uh, Food sourcing is a key part of what we do. And so we manage um, retail relationships across the region. And there is a process called food rescue, essentially, where stores who would otherwise be disposing of items that are still usable and very much edible and safe to consume but they might not be um, items that they think have a high chance of selling. They donate those items to our food sourcing program. Um, We also purchase food through regional co-ops and other sources at reduced or lower cost. Um, And unfortunately, with inflation, Mm. supply chain constraints, we are purchasing more food than ever before, which surprises people. Um, and that that is why um, when asked you know what's most helpful to the food bank we're very grateful for people who want to support us you know and folks support us through volunteering doing food drives really doing fun drives are most helpful because there is no purchasing power like that of the food bank we have a lot of power to purchase um, but as you can imagine mobilizing 11 million pounds of food Mm. across 14 counties is a fairly technical business yes and so it really helps us to be able to have the autonomy and agency to order the the items that we know we need at the time and in the way that we need them to ensure that what people are receiving is balanced yeah so imagine you know when you go to the grocery store imagine what you put in your cart and then think about You know, the average food drive and, you know, what comes in is whatever comes in, which we very much appreciate. But imagine trying to put together a distribution based on randomness. So it's really helpful to be able to order and make thoughtful decisions so that the experience we provide for our neighbors who come for food support is a thoughtful one.
1: That does make a difference.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Funding. Mm-hmm.
1: You do different types of fundraisers. I'm mm-hmm. trying to remember what it is that I saw on your website. Yeah. So Where it's, you, you, you get people to create a little team.
0: That's right. Um, we are getting ready to hunker down against hunger and so excited to be issuing the challenge just across the region to the community to enroll their team. and their team can compete, challenge another team. Maybe in in First Baptist, it it could be Sunday school class, a little friendly competition, neighborhoods. Um, At the University of Georgia, we have different programs competing against one another. Um, A couple of private schools challenge each other in Athens. So it gets really fun, Um, and the goal is to raise – food and especially funds uh, for the food bank for the reasons that we discussed. So that's coming up in October. Really right. excited about it. Good. I think mm-hmm.
1: it is it October 20.
0: It is a two week campaign um, okay. right in the middle of the month. So yeah, hopefully when folks hear this, they can join, uh, look on our website, sign up their team and, you know, start, start trash talking their opponents and see what <laughs> happens.
1: Well, we'll put a, Link in the show notes. Oh, that'd be great, so that they can get to the website and yeah, uh, yeah. look that up and maybe create yep. their own little team. Because I love it. Uh, anybody can create a team. Yes,
0: mm-hmm. absolutely. So, I mean, any any size of a group, you could decide your family wants to challenge. You know, another family that you have a fun. You know, if you guys get together for a game night or any anyone in your network yeah. that you have that kind of fun friendly, mm-hmm. competitive relationship with, it would be really fun to compete for a cause. And that's what this is about.
1: Oh, that does sound fun. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a lot of fun. When you do look for people to donate mm-hmm. in some various forms, they're always interested in impact. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the ways that we describe and relate impact the best is through stories. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if you can share a story, a story about maybe a volunteer or Mm -hmm. a supporter that really had kind of an epiphany moment Mm. uh, with their experience with the food bank.
0: Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll share a story about an experience that I had in my first few months of joining the food bank. So a big part of what the food bank does is we're we are looking out for folks who experience food stress and uncertainty more than the average person. And so believe it or not, and I, I wish it weren't the case, but it is true that children more than the average everyday person experience you know, not knowing, um, where their food is coming from and not being certain about that. So we have a a menu of, um, programs and opportunities to support children and their nutrition called food to kids. So this, this program exists. Um, I show up to our local elementary school and this was a couple of years ago. So it was right when, you know, we were emerging from the pandemic parents were finally allowed back in schools to engage. And so, um, you know, even though I was really busy, had a lot to do, in my new position, I was not going to miss this picnic with parents at my son's school. So I showed up, I found sweet little Moses outside, and he was sharing a blanket with this super sweet little girl and her father, and they were speaking Spanish, Moses is in a dual language program, and Mm -hmm. so we um, just started, you know, spending time with them, my Spanish is not great, it's a little rusty, (laughs) but I I got along, we had a, a sweet time. And they were actually FaceTiming the little girl's mom. And so she wasn't able to be there. And I just observed and, you know, we started a conversation about, oh, is that your mom? And I realized in that moment that, you know, I had broken away from work, got in my vehicle, drove 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. had this delightful time with my son. This little girl was FaceTiming her mom who lives in South America. So they had recently come to the United States. Mm -hmm. And so she was there with her father. Her mother was thousands of miles away. And I think you can imagine when you, when you're sitting in a place and you realize that something is so easy for you. Yeah. And you didn't even realize how easy it was until you're sharing space and sharing a meal with someone Whose reality is completely different. So that evening, you know, we came came home and we're gathered around our family table, you know, with um, all of us there. Mm-hmm. So just continuing to drive home the point of just all of the the opportunities and the blessings that that I enjoy, not because I deserve them. Yeah. And so talking to Moses, so tell me more about your little friend. And he is so sweet at Moses as the mm-hmm. type of child. As he's picked up Spanish, she's often the child who's kind of helping a new student who's moved in from a Spanish-speaking country kind of get acclimated. So he knew a little bit about her story. Yeah. And I said, well, Moses, you know, I'm wondering if, if her mommy is not around, do you think there's anything they need? Do you think there's any way we could kind of support them in, in a quiet way? And he said, well... I don't know. I think they have what they need because I've noticed she gets this little bag. And I realized that she is receiving a food to kids bag from the food bank. So that drove home for me so many things. Mm -hmm. The fact that this work is so much bigger than me or any one person that it transcends my capacity and understanding, Mm -hmm. which is what happens when mission driven, like-minded people come together is something bigger than any one of them is the result. And that there is this blessing that is transformative. And I think you and I both know the power of just being grateful and Mm -hmm. aware of what you have. Yeah. And I, I would love to have that in a way that didn't imply other people's suffering. You know, I don't want them to suffer, so I can feel grateful <laughs> for what I have. Exactly, um, and that's that's the problem we're here to solve is to end the suffering mm-hmm. of not knowing where food is coming from. So that that story was a really interesting way to kind of lean into the work that we do and realize the impact that it has.
1: But that's a story you didn't see coming, either, did you?
0: No. No, not at all because you know you're when your worlds collide yeah and that way it's like, oh this thing that I left to come do <laughs> it's all connected and I think that connectivity is part of what makes this community mm-hmm. so wonderful is it is small enough that those yeah. connections are very apparent
1: and mm-hmm. it's when we realize that it is community that comes together to make improvement.
0: That's right. That's Mm -hmm. right. None of the problems we face Mm -hmm. will be solved by a single person or organization or idea. Yeah. So. Mm
1: -hmm. So food insecurity and Mm -hmm. uncertainty of where food is coming from. Mm -hmm. How big of a deal is that in Athens and in Georgia?
0: So... When we awakened this morning, about 1.1 million Georgians went into today having food insecurity as part of their reality. And so that is just not knowing where their meals will be coming from. We know the problem disproportionately impacts children, older adults, people of color mm-hmm. um, across the 14 counties of our region. Um, the food insecurity rates vary, but all told, we estimate that about 64,000 people across the 14 counties of Northeast Georgia experience food insecurity. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. Too many.
1: So that would certainly be one of the major needs in our community. Mm-hmm. Uh, what other needs in the community would mm-hmm. you include as major needs?
0: Yeah, well... For better or worse, my response is taking more of a both and instead of either or. Because we all know from managing whatever budgets we manage, whether they be household or institutional, that budgets are interactive, right? And so whatever cost is going up in one area, then something else has to go down Mm -hmm. or you have to find another source of income. And so we have a perfect storm. And and this is true in Clark County, but we are not extraordinary in this case. So unfortunately, the the cost of childcare is untenable mm. for many families. The cost of housing, um, and then the low housing stock, the small county size that is Clark County yeah. means that there there is just not a lot of space to develop, and so with limited inventory. And all the other things that are affecting housing prices at a national scale, mm-hmm. uh, we're not immune to those factors. So those are true, plus a very small county. So housing is relatively unaffordable. It's the cost to manage it is just impossible. And so unfortunately, when you take on the cost of child care and the rising cost of housing, inflation which is driving up the cost of everyday essentials like food um, then you find people making what we consider impossible choices we know for a fact people are choosing between their utility bill and groceries they're choosing to feed themselves or their children Mm -hmm. and so parents are going without food to ensure that their children have enough so I would say food, housing, child care, um, health care is its own.
1: It's its own animal.
0: Story. Yeah. Um, we somehow have the most expensive health care mm-hmm. maybe in the world, but really not the outcomes to prove it. And so that that's probably its own series of podcasts. <laughs> uh, that's yeah. why I just kind of left it to the side. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. on an everyday basis, I think those three things interact to create undue stress for people. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that, that that bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of need are those essential things.
1: Yeah. And at a given on a given month, to concentrate on one may impact the other two for a
0: family.-hmm That's right. That's right. And so it it's challenging to have been, working with and building relationships with people who experience poverty for so long and to you know be beside them and you know know their faces know their names Mm -hmm. and just observe how impossible life can be for people who are you know they might be working two or more jobs and our our systems are not necessarily built to incentivize work, even though we we often believe and we speak about systems as though, you know, they're built to drive toward the outcomes that we want. They don't actually because there are benefits cliffs. Mm. So as someone moves up in their position and they increase income, their benefits reduce. Mm. Sometimes people actually lose housing They lose SNAP benefits when they experience an increase in income. They end up unbelievably worse than when they started.
1: That's upside down.
0: It is upside down. And so we have some broken systems that we're dealing with, and I I take the time to mention that so that people can hear, you know, when you see someone who is clearly in need, it is just not true to think well if if they were working harder or if if a b c d then the if then Mm -hmm. that's a that's a logic sequence right it is there is a lack of logic in how some of our systems work they don't actually incentivize the things that society says they want people to do they don't always pay off and so people should not be punished for those outcomes when they're doing everything they can.
1: Yeah. Those are uh, big issues and big problems. Yes. Uh, More than, it it can be overwhelming to us. However, Mm -hmm. you are there doing good work. Your organization does good work. And I'm sure there are other people who listen who would like to do something. Mm -hmm. So how can people... Mm -hmm volunteer with you how can can they help
0: um so we would love to invite people to come and learn about the work of the food bank come volunteer with us Um, they can find out all sorts of things at our website www.foodbanknega.org and i'm very easy to find they can reach out to me directly Um, they can use our give pulse link to sign up to volunteer with us they can sign up for a hunker down against hunger team they can mark february 6 2024 on their calendar for our next empty bowl Mm. event at the classic center Um, there are many ways to get involved and i i'm glad you noted how complex and potentially overwhelming, mm-hmm. because I think, especially in conversations about how all these factors work together, oh, yeah. it can create paralysis. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, folks can, can receive that. And the response can be, well, that's too much. I can't solve all of those things. I can't even solve one of those things. So w- what's my next step? I would say our next step is to do the thing that only you can do. And so for some people that is donating funds for other people that's donating their time and talent. Yeah. And so I would just encourage listeners to think about, you know, what moves you, what's something that you feel passionate about or you think you could be passionate about. Yeah. Um, If someone is passionate about food and hospitality, the food bank is a great place to, to lean in when we think about, our milestone moments you know your family just had a milestone and you're a you're preparing to plan for another milestone will food be involved oh yes can you imagine can imagine you, food not being involved have you been to any party that you <laughs> stayed at for very long yeah where there wasn't food
1: yeah it's you're, just you got to remember Aaron. you're talking to a baptist ah I- When Baptists get together, there's always food. I
0: love it. Or it's a short meeting.
1: Or it's a very short meeting. Or an angry meeting. (laughs) More so angry, (laughs) yes. (laughs) If
0: there's not food. No, so I I love that. That's a great place to kind of start to land. What I love about what we do includes many things, our team, how relatable and straightforward the mission is, um, how achievable it is. The fact that I believe, um, and I I don't just believe, I'm confident in the fact that there is enough food to go around. You know, we don't exist in a Mm -hmm. famine. There are enough resources. It's a matter of aligning the resources with the people who need the food and doing that strategically. But food is about connection and togetherness and celebration um, it's often what brings people together or it elevates their experience together. Um, just like your, you know, your favorite song. I don't know about you, but I love music. And often when I hear a song, yeah, I can literally be taken back to a certain period of my life. Oh, yeah. Food is that way. It's powerful. So connecting people to the power of food and how it changes lives and how simple we believe it should be for people. Mm-hmm. Is it's a great, great thing to do every day.
1: This is a great thing. So I do want to mention mm-hmm. that you all across the street are building a new facility. Mm-hmm. But first of all, tell people what where where that street is that's across the street.
0: Newton Bridge Road. So if you drive down Newton Bridge Road in Athens, past Terrapin um, if you keep driving. And look to your left, you'll see the current Food Bank of Northeast Georgia. And if you look to your immediate right, you will see what is now a white, fairly large building. <laughs> and that is the future Food Bank. And we hope to be complete with that project and moved in next summer, summer of 2024. So
1: that's your timetable.
0: That's our timetable. And really the the purpose of that project and the reason for it is it, it's a game changer regarding the amount of food that we can bring in and mobilize. So right now, if you did a a warehouse tour on the left side of Newton Bridge, which we would love, we love to invite people to come and see Mm -hmm. because food banking is something, it's difficult to believe it until you see it. When you walk in the warehouse and literally lift your eyes up to a pretty high ceiling, you see the scope and scale and the magnitude of what we exist to do. And you'll also see that our food is up to the ceiling. Oh, wow. And in order to have the the physical capacity to move more food and the greatest variety of food, the food bank of the future is required for that. And so that's why we're building.
1: Mm. And how much, uh, how will it change your space?
0: It will move us from a facility that's about, 32,000 to 64,000 square feet. So pretty significant increase. That's a big change. It's a big change. Um, You know, just even on an everyday working level, this is not why we're making the move, but currently we have team members, you know, sharing spaces. We have some really tight quarters, so it Mm -hmm. will free up program space. It will triple our volunteer center. It will increase our fresh food capacity by about 85%. So more cold storage, which is pretty critical to continuing to offer that diverse combination of fresh foods. So it will do a lot to elevate our opportunity to achieve our vision, which is every neighbor with enough food every day Mm. in our 14-county region.
1: That's a great mission.
0: I believe in it. It's easy to believe in. It's nice to work for something that it's really tough to argue. Yeah. Right? It that is. That there are people who shouldn't have food. Yeah. It's, it's clear. So I appreciate that.
1: So for a congregation like us, what are ways in which we could partner with you? How can we be a part of helping? Mm. What, what would that look like? What are ways in which we could do
0: that oh so many things so yeah i would love to to brainstorm more with you but one way you have already done which is you have a a process of mission budgeting and support and so that that is something you've already connected us with and we're very grateful for that support um having individual members sign up to learn more and come volunteer that is also incredibly helpful And then on a communal, congregate level, if you all have interest in in serving on a regular basis, you know, we could have a conversation about what are some current gaps in Clark County, where do we know there's need, um, and having some ongoing support to host a mobile distribution, or where maybe there's a mobile distribution that's active, but we could really use some volunteers um, okay. Those, All of those are our ways to get involved.
1: Well, thanks. Mm-hmm. You know, we sit on a corner that we have seen transform quite a bit mm-hmm. over the last couple of decades. Mm-hmm. And finding ways in which we can continue to be light on this corner and partner with the community. Um, we have some partnerships currently. Mm. Uh, I don't think we ever want to think that we have all that we need. Sure, And we're always going to be asking that question. Is there something else we can do and partner with mm-hmm. that helps make a difference?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, there's a reason that this church was my first call mm. that April day, 12 years ago. So I definitely have experienced firsthand how this church is inclined to love your neighbor, and I I really appreciate the spirit of this place and the obedience um, of the people to the call to God's people to love him and love our neighbor, and to do that in tangible ways, you know, to do more than say, well, I'll pray for you. Go be warm and full. (laughs) It's like, well, how how are they going to be warm? Exactly Mm -hmm. how are they going to be full? Mm -hmm. And if not us— who, who will step in. So being the people that step in and make things happen are the, the people that I am so grateful for because the food bank would not exist if not for people like you. So I'm very grateful for the partnership.
1: I've asked you a number of questions, given you a chance to say some things, but are there some things you'd like to share that I haven't asked you about?
0: No, I think that this conversation has been a real delight for me. It's an honor for me. And I'm humbled to be back in this space where I spent, you know, so many hours and some of the best moments of my life were downstairs and to the right, you know, in the, our daily bread kitchen, we could end by talking about Zach. Oh, I don't know if I can, Oh, you've got! If to, I can get through a conversation about him, but I think I bet you can share mm. a
1: story about Zach.
0: Yeah, and, I, and
1: and before you do, yeah, just say who Zach was. Sure.
0: So one of the best decisions of my life was hiring Zach Burgess as the manager of the Our Daily Bread Community Kitchen. Um, and I wish Mary Conley were here right by my side or she was sitting right there. Oh, yeah. we, we would probably have to schedule another podcast. Mm-hmm. I didn't um, bring Kleenex. So that, right. I would need Kleenex. For exactly. That and so I mentioned Mary um, because she and several other first Baptist members, I would say adopted our daily bread as their own. And they became uh, a monumental fixture of the kitchen and Zach was the manager of that space for about 10 years. Um his life ended in my opinion too soon. Much too soon. A few years ago, he was dynamic and hilarious and joyful. He received more joy in serving than probably anyone I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. He was the kind of person who, when everything in Athens shut down due to a snow and ice storm, you know, he loaded up in his crown Victoria, <laughs> whatever he could fit. He drove food, you know, through ice storms for mm-hmm. people. So when I think about this idea that a man laying down his life for his friends, mm-hmm. That is the kind of love he brought to this position, and so he set a standard yeah. for hospitality. Um, I would say that is a standard I still aim for mm. in in what I do. He was a dear friend.
1: Yeah, he certainly had a big heart. <laughs> he did so big. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: It's interesting when someone takes such great joy. And they experienced such great honor, in a job that some people view as a sacrifice. Yeah, for him, so and I think that yeah. that speaks to his priorities mm-hmm. being right sized. Yeah, you know he he viewed that role as an honor for him, mm-hmm. and because he didn't view himself as, um, you know, greater, and the folks that we serve as less than. Mm-hmm. You know, for him, it wasn't a sacrifice. And I would say his lens in that was a God lens. And he realized that it it actually was a great honor to do the work that he did. And that's how he did it. And that still inspires me today.
1: That's great. I have a few lightning round questions.
0: Ooh, okay. Okay. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Ready.
1: Mountains or beach? Mountains. When it comes to barbecue, pork or brisket?
0: Brisket.
1: Pepsi or Coke? Coke. Okay, you're from Georgia. That's good. Ah. (laughs) That's important. Backyard party or black tie gala?
0: Backyard party.
1: And what is the most unusual job you've ever had?
0: Ooh, a wonderful, life-changing job that i realized now was probably pretty unusual for my age was i worked with adults with developmental disabilities in a residential setting mm-hmm. so i actually would check in after classes i was in undergrad at the time and my shift was 2:30 p.m. till 7:30 the next morning so i worked 17-hour shifts connecting with two particular folks with disabilities and the goal of that program was to just help support their independent living but with assistance so i was there yeah. to assist them i was about 20 years old mm. at the time and had an absolute blast <laughs> and it changed my life it changed the trajectory of my life and my guys were mike and scott those uh-huh. and and we just kind of uh took care of each other and had a blast uh, one of my best memories is um taking them to a Weezer concert in Nashville. <laughs> so I lived in Kentucky at the time. And it was the kind of job where, you know, it, it was a solid organization. There was enough autonomy in the position where you could kind of coast. You know, there were folks yeah. who just like did their homework, watched TV. Yeah. Or you could really get out there. So some of my best memories are driving around, you know, this town in Kentucky with blaring music and these guys would be singing along and, you know, we cooked, we, we went out and I just had such, um, such joyful times with them. And I feel like that was, that was kind of a growing up for me, learning how to care for care with other people. And realize that when you put yourself in that position, um, what you learn and gain is equal or greater to what you're able to give. And so that's probably more than any job I've ever had explains the job I do today.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm. There's abundance all around, isn't there?
0: There really is. Mm -hmm. God is good.
1: Well, you have mentioned a number of times that you have a lot of gratitude in your life. Mm. I am very grateful to know you. Thank and you, And very grateful for our conversation today. Thanks, Erin. It was
0: fun. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. It was a blast. I appreciate you, and I appreciate First Baptist Church.
1: You can volunteer and contribute to the Food Bank in several ways. Their website has details for how you can help, and you can find that link in our show notes. You can also help by sharing this podcast with others in your network of people who are interested in the work of alleviating food insecurity in our community. Thanks for listening. Join us next week and meet Madison Sanders of Family Promise. This is Open to Explore, the FBC Athens podcast featuring conversations at the intersection of faith and life.